0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.
1: Hey, hey, welcome. Disability Law Show. So eager to uh, to get it happening. So we're here for the next while. You want to reach out to Tamar, Tamar Gopi and of course, Sam Firu Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm. In this country, Tamar is so ready to take care of your issues, answer your questions. You can call anytime, by the way, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca real simple email help at disabilityrights.ca any further questions the website that's free and anonymous again you can type in your questions to mydisabilityquestions.com so let's get it happening I know we got a bunch of emails and questions standing by for you uh, tomorrow but you got uh, you got something to share off the top what uh, what do you got
2: I do John and you know we we do this work day in and day out and uh, we're really committed to the work that we do and every so often we get A really nice note from a client and you know of course i'm going to protect her identity but i wanted to share some of her comments and and let me provide a little bit of context she you know had been on disability for some years uh, and was unfortunately cut off from her benefits uh, wrongfully and the insurance company did all the things that they would normally do and some surveillance and some other things and like very misguided decline but she tried to challenge the insurance company on her own. And I give her a lot of credit for doing that, but it didn't get her very far. And in fact um, really set her back, um, you know, from a mental health perspective And so, you know, long story short, she came across our, uh, you know, website and contacted our firm. And ultimately, after speaking with me, and I spoke to her and I spoke with her husband, she chose to retain me in my firm uh, to advance her legal claim. And we uh, were able to successfully resolve her claim last week. And so she sent me a really nice note, John, and she said this, She said, once again, uh, you know, I want to say how amazing you are, Tamar, and your team. I'm lost for words to express my, uh, you know, how utmost professional that you were and determined and compassionate and understanding. And you just dealt with me with such patience, uh, you know, just not just uh, today, but every single time we spoke and always being there for me when I needed questions answered and to explain things, you know, very clearly and in simple terms. Without a doubt, I could not have been uh, better represented. You have now allowed me to be freed from their ball and chain and be able to focus on my health moving forward and my treatments. I can't thank you enough. I just thought, you know, this was a great way to start our show, you know, not only to express to those out there that, yes, there is help and we are happy to help, but also that it can, you know, be a successful resolution to do exactly what my client has said, which is. Now she can really refocus on her health and her treatment. You know, it can be really difficult when you're going through these challenges with the insurance company yourself uh, to understand, look, where do I go from here? My doctors are saying I cannot work. I know I cannot work. I have documented health conditions. And yet, you know, I'm meeting a barrier with the insurance company and I don't understand why. And so if you want questions answered, please don't hesitate to contact us you know, we will have a real open conversation with you. As my client said, very simple. We'll break it down, we'll give you some options, and then you decide what you want to do. And if we can help, we absolutely want to. And we have a really, really good high rate of success for the majority of our clients to resolve the claims fairly efficiently, and usually at a mediation, John. And so look, you know, I'm thrilled. These were lovely comments. Uh, and I just thought it was a great way to open our show to talk about really what it is that we do and, and why we do it. It's so gratifying and really can help people out there. So it, it was a good one.
1: You know, and it's and I know you read that not as you know, you're one of the most humble people I know and you're not tooting your own horn and I know you get these all the time and it and it's good that you put that out there because people often, you know, I just finished doing my taxes and it's back and forth with my account. It's and this is just taxes. I know what it's like for these people who are A not healthy. They're going through physical things that are difficult, they're on disability, they're getting harassed, they're getting hassled, they've got to deal with this insurance company, and it's just a massive burden that they just the relief that comes from Dealing with you guys and getting you guys literally on the case is... It's incredible. The it, it, the healing properties of that before you even get into dealing with a doctor and the proper healing is huge. So I mean it it's it's interesting. I think it's good that you read that email out because just getting your team involved tomorrow it takes such a burden off people that are dealing with this insurance company because as we've mentioned on the show many times once you guys get involved and you take on the case the phone calls, the emails, the, the, all that stuff that the person has to deal with is gone and it's radio silence from the insurance company. Now yeah. you take it on and they can get just down to the business of getting better right
2: uh, absolutely that's the that's the greatest part of the service at uh, john along yeah. with lots of other things but i mean that's that's the whole point of this is that we really want to take this big element away from people and we do it in a way that We are very transparent with our clients. They know what's going on. They have access to us directly. You know, it's not like we've got, you know, sort of the shell game where you're talking to seven different people at the firm. Nope. You know, you're dealing with me. Uh, It's and it really that direct human element is so, so important. It's a real focus at our firm. And I would say not just even with our clients, John, with each other. I mean, we're a team, right? This is not it's a team effort in the sense that we meet regularly, we speak regularly, we email regularly, you know, and we've got lots and lots of people who care. And I think that, unfortunately, when you're dealing with insurance companies who sometimes get this tunnel vision that the goal is to cut off the claim, the humanity sometimes falls away right it the the individuals who are dealing with this on behalf of the insurance companies get jaded you know sort of somewhat cynical maybe somewhat complacent and that compassion and that empathy goes away and i think that's a real loss and shame and you know hopefully the the aim with us and working with us is that that's there and that's really front and center um, for what we do and the goals that we're trying to achieve for our clients Keep it simple. Keep it easy. Let them focus on their health. Let's get a resolution. That's really the the primary features
1: there. You bet. And reaching out, by the way, to Tamar and her very capable team anytime, if only for a chat. Simple, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred 821 5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca, which is where we are going to go now if you want to get into it. And our first email for the uh, show, Tamar, comes from uh, Logan. We'll start off with Logan. Says, Hey, Tamar, I've been off work since August 2020. I was paid LTD for the first two months. I tried to go back to work uh, a couple times, but I'm not physically capable to do the job. After my attempt to return to work, they declined my claim. I've been living off my line of credit for a year now. That's almost depleted. Can I try to get a part-time job uh, doing something completely different? Even though I don't think I'm physically able, I need something to happen. Thank you for your time. Take care, Logan.
2: Wow. Oh, Logan, Logan, call us very soon. Yeah, right. (laughs) So, so look, I'm let's, let's unpack this a little bit. He, he describes for us that he has been off work since August of 2020. That means we're coming up to that two-year mark, John. And so if he was paid disability benefits for a couple months and then cut off at some point within that period of time, then I suspect that we're coming up to the potential two-year limitation period in Ontario. So let me be very, very clear about this. The time clock to start a legal claim against the insurance company for benefits will start the moment you get that first letter declining your benefits. The first one, not the, the three others, maybe if you decided to appeal or do other things. That first letter saying no, that's the start of the time frame. And so if you want to pursue a legal claim you must must do so in ontario before that two-year period is done and so with logan i'm afraid that you know he's he's got to take that action if he wishes to take that action and don't delay with things like this because what's ending up happening is what's happened with logan the longer you wait, the more frustrating it becomes in terms of a financial situation and a health situation. The sooner you come to us or frankly, anyone just have a conversation with a disability lawyer, if we can help, we will act quickly as quickly as we can. And we do this because of the fact of what Logan describes, which is I'm depleting my financial resources. This is what disability benefits are for, John. They're supposed to be compensating individuals so that They've got a stream of income so that they can focus on their health and get back on their feet. I think what's worrying me a little bit more, though, in Logan's situation is, look, I'm not sure I can do anything, uh, but maybe I should try. And I've tried a couple of times already, and I really can't. Uh, That is not a recipe for success, unfortunately, from a health perspective. You really don't want to be putting yourself in a work environment if you cannot work that is why we assert legal claims against disability insurers who have cut off claims or denied benefits improperly. And Logan's situation screens screens out that legal claim uh, scenario, John. And I think that the difficulty with the financial pressure is really what the insurance company is after here. I mean, if they've cut you off and they're just going to wait you out, there's nothing for them to do or be required to do to help you after that because they've decided that you can work. And if the fact remains that you cannot and you've got medical support for that, then you really do need to pursue those rights. And so, look, I think with Logan's situation, could there be a capacity for a partial work Sure. And if there is, yes, you should absolutely explore that if you've got your doctors on board. Don't do it just because you have to do it if you've got the medical clearance to do it, because there could be ramifications to the claim, the disability claim that is. And you want to be careful that you're not compromising those those options. So, for example, some disability insurers will have sort of a partial work capacity type portion of the disability policy. What that means is that if you've got a partial work capacity, they will top you up with an additional payment if it comes within a certain part of the disability policy. Not all insurers will do that, John. And actually, there's a lot of variety around the language in these policies on how they will do it. But the fact the fact remains that that is an option. And so I think what the insurance company perhaps has done in Logan's situation is just done the cutoff, not even the top up, no exploring of partial work. They've just said, look, we don't think you're disabled. We're not paying you anything. And I don't think that that's appropriate from what he's described. I mean, of course, I'd want to see a little more about the medical information, understand more carefully what his occupation was. But if he is totally disabled from doing his own occupation, regardless, because that's what he's saying, maybe I can try something completely different then there are disability benefits owing and payable to him and he should be pursuing a legal claim to, to get that entitlement to those benefits.
1: Logan, appreciate it reaching out. As you know, you've already emailed, but for everybody else who wants to contact tomorrow as we get into a short break here, here is how you do it. Help at disabilityrights.ca and the phone number anytime, one 855 5,900. We'll continue lots more
0: Disability Law Show. It's coming right up. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. All right. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. Thank
1: you so much for hanging in. You want to continue on the conversation after the show with Tamara Gulpian and her team Real easy. Always inviting your calls. That's one 821 5900 Email help at disabilityrights.ca. Both avenues, of course, totally discreet. And if you want to go to mydisabilityquestions.com, another resource for you to ask questions anytime, you can, uh, you can use that again. Mydisabilityquestions.com. Tomorrow, question, question for you right now, actually. Can it happen that an insurance company pays more money per month to an LTD claimant than they were supposed to get? I know it sounds bizarre, but uh, what's your advice if the <laughs> If that happens to someone,
2: it, it can happen, actually, John, as surprisingly. Uh, and so, look, y- you want to find out why. Right. I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the basic like, OK, wait a minute. I was supposed to get X. Let's say it's, you know, three thousand dollars a month for my LTD benefit. And then this month I ended up getting, you know, thirty one hundred and fifty dollars. Why is that? Uh, and so let me unpack this a little bit. So, you know, can it happen? Yes. You know, don't hope for it, obviously, but usually when it does, John, there's a reason for it. And so the reason typically could be um, two things. One, it could either be a cost of living adjustment. Some LTD plans and policies have this adjustment that gets put in place at some point during the year. Some insurers do it midpoint year. Most insurers do it come January of every year that you are on claim. So if you're getting your disability benefits at the back end of last year, and then come January, all of a sudden you get a little bit more money, you're wondering why it most likely means that you've got a cost of living adjustment, which is like, like the consumer price index. I know it's kind of technical, but it basically bumps up a percent or two or three, the monthly LTD benefit you're getting to account for the fact that there's been inflation in the the country year over year. And it's kind of interesting now, uh, you know, I'm going to put my super economics nerd hat on, but we're we're going through a bit of an inflation right now in Canada. So I'm actually keeping an eye on to see what these insurers are going to do with the COLA, the cost of living adjustments um, that, that apply for a lot of their policies. So that's, probably the reason why you're getting a little bit more than you expected. Uh, The other reason could be that there's been an adjustment with your income. So, So let's not forget disability benefits are based upon your earnings. And usually they're based upon earnings that you were getting before you became disabled. So let's say you've been on claim for a year and you know that everyone in your band level at your work just got a bump up by 5%. Right. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean your LTD benefits is going to be bumped up as well. In fact, in most instances, it sort of crystallizes. It, it gets locked into what your salary was at the time that you became disabled. Having said that, I have seen on a few occasions where there's been improper reporting of that base earnings amount upon which the disability benefit is calculated. So for example, your own claim, maybe it's a few months in, what have you, there is dialogue behind the scenes between your disability insurer and your employer on a couple of things. As it relates to this question, John, it includes what are your earnings? How many hours are you working? What were you on salary? What was the base amount? And then the insurer will go back to the policy and look to see how that's defined in order to calculate your long-term disability benefit. And it can happen that that calculation is not done correctly or that your employer hasn't reported the correct income amount. And so in instances like that, I have seen a correction being done by the disability insurer. And so great, you know, take the extra dough and that's awesome. But you want to know why. Don't ignore the situation. Make sure you get something from the insurer in writing about why this change has been applied to your disability benefits. Because I can tell you the opposite is also true, that sometimes they overpay and then a year from now we'll say, whoops, we overpaid. Now we're going to take all this money back. Uh Uh-uh, doesn't work that way unless you've been transparent with the claimant. So you really, really want to get into the weeds on that payment. If you see any changes or you think that something might be off. Do your own due diligence on what you should be getting as your LTD monthly benefit. Generally speaking, insurers are usually right in their calculations. I can tell you that, but errors have happened and you want to make sure that that's not you in your situation, that you're getting the correct monthly benefit.
1: (laughs) Let's uh, move on to Dorothy's email. Thanks, Dorothy. Again, it's help at disabilityrights.ca. That's how you reach out to Tamar and the team. Says, uh, I'm on LTD right now for mental illness and have tried a majority of treatments which include antidepressants, psychotherapy, RTMS, group therapy, exercise, etc., etc. Now, the insurance company wants me, uh, wants me to try ECT. After thorough research, I learned there are long-term side effects, and I don't want to go with that therapy. Am I past the change of definition? Can my benefits be cut off if I don't get the ECT? If so, what are my rights?
2: Yeah. Oh, Okay, Dorothy, let's unpack this. A couple of things. Let's talk about the therapy aspect first before we get into the whole change of definition conversation. So ECT, for those who may not know, is actually shock therapy. Yeah. And shock therapy, she's quite right there's, it can go either way in terms of the rate of success. Okay. And so, and it it is quite aggressive therapy, but perhaps because she has explored so many other treatment options, this is something that's being proposed. The biggest caveat though, is that it's being proposed by the insurance company, not by our own medical team. And that always concerns me. The overwhelming advice I give to individuals is that you must follow your own doctor's advice or your own treating uh, practitioner's advice around treatment. The insurance company cannot force you to undergo treatment that's not reasonable, that there isn't a good basis for which you should submit yourself to. And in fact, in a situation like that, I would very much recommend that Dorothy have a real conversation with her doctor about the risks and have the doctor actually put this in writing, put something in writing together, explaining that, you know, I have been treating my patient for X number of years or months. These are the conditions for which we are treating Dorothy. This is the prognosis. This is diagnosis. And by the by, I do not recommend this shock therapy. Here's why. Uh, And so I've advised my patient not to pursue this and get that over to the insurance company. You know, the insurer will rely on, there's a provision in the policy that we talk about a lot relating to appropriate treatment. It will say that we will continue paying your disability benefits if you're getting appropriate treatment for which you are seeking disability for. So there is an obligation to some extent that you focus on your recovery and do explore treatment options while you're getting your LTD benefit. You can't just sit back on your laurels and just wait for the disability check to come in. It doesn't work that way, actually having said that you can't you should not be forced to undergo treatments that are not um, medically sound or not appropriate for your treatment plan and really the best advice there is to go back to your own team so from an ect perspective that's really my advice to dorothy on the issue of the change of definition though let's talk about what that means john in case you know people are new to the show and they're thinking what is the change of right. definition yeah. the disability policy has two tests to qualify for benefits. The first test or the first part of the policy is are you totally disabled from doing your own occupation? And that is usually you know the yardstick that the disability insurer will look at as it relates to your health and you know what your job duties are, your job requirements are. So if those two things don't line up, in other words, your health and function are preventing you from working, then you will be you know considered totally disabled and receiving your benefits. Usually that period of time, though, is only two years or 24 months of payments. After that period of time is done, then the test under the policy changes. It it doesn't mean you don't qualify. It just means to qualify, you need to meet another test for the insurance company in order to continue getting your benefits. Most people think it's two years and done. It's not, actually. Most disability policies will actually pay you until you're 65 years old if you continue to meet the test of total disability under the policy. So what is that? That change in definition, that's what it is. The definition for disability changes and it then becomes, are you totally disabled from doing any, any occupation? Anything in the world for which you've got some education, training and experience or could get that training and actually get into a line of work that would offer you an income that's roughly what you're getting as your disability benefit. So give or take around two-thirds of what you were making before. And so in that change definition analysis, in that time frame, actually just before that two-year point, the insurance company will most certainly look quite critically at where are you at from a health perspective and whether or not they assess that there is some other occupations that you can do. And let me be clear about this, John. The onus is on the insurance company to do that analysis. It is up to the insurance company to look at the medical information, perhaps get their own medical information, so their own assessment and what have you, and then also identify alternative occupations that would be quote-unquote commensurate or at a wage that's at a level where they can then turn around and say, okay, we're not entitled or having to, under our policy, continue to pay those disability benefits. So if Dorothy's in that process It can be really, really tough to navigate with a disability insurer, and it makes it that much more critical to get the medical information supporting total disability, ongoing total disability, over to the insurance company to consider in the midst of everything else they're looking at with your claim. So, if you're getting close to that change of definition, you're going to get lots more phone calls from the insurance company, lots more letters to your medical team about how you're doing. And then eventually, you're going to get some kind of letter saying to you, yay or nay, about whether or not your benefits are going to continue past the change of definition. So, that's my advice for Dorothy as it relates to her situation. And really having to access and lean on her own team to give her the guidance on what's best for her treatment and health and really whether or not she continues to qualify for LTD benefits.
1: Dorothy, well worth the phone call uh, follow up to uh, tomorrow for sure. If you want more information, one 821 5900 You know, sometimes quite often, I guess the cost of treatment can be uh, can be really expensive. If someone can't pay for certain medication or treatment for that matter uh that they need for their condition can the insurance company hold this against you i mean it's it's it's, you know if you don't have the the financial wherewithal what are you going to do right
2: no you're absolutely right john you know they they shouldn't hold it against you but but do they? they yeah of course i mean inadvertently they do because it serves the insurance company if you are committed to treatment and if that treatment ultimately results in you being better enough to get back to work or enough so that they can justify cutting off the claim one way or another. Right? So as I said before, they will, the insurance company will lean on this appropriate treatment section in their disability policies. And unfortunately have had some misguided notions around what that means in terms of what an individual should do when treatment is being recommended. That's cost prohibitive that cannot be afforded by an individual. And, the, the tough part is, is that the insurance company is not required to actually pay for any of this treatment. So they may say to you, yeah, you're, you're obligated to go, let's say like in Dorothy's situation, go get the shock therapy, you know, it's $500 a shot, uh, but we're not paying for that. We think you need it. We're not paying for it. And by the way, if you don't get it, we're going to cut off the claim. Very, very unfortunate. Should not be the situation at all whatsoever. Uh, But it can happen and it can be dressed up in, you know, the insurance company leaning on other components of the policy in order to cut off the claim. Not right, not appropriate. And frankly, when we get involved, we will commit this to the insurance company in terms of whether or not that exposes them to a damages claim because it's not right. shouldn't be done.
1: And there you go. So much more to cover, emails and uh, questions as well. Anytime you want to uh, to reach out to tomorrow and her team, I'll give you a couple different ways you can do that. Uh, number one, the phone call. We keep throwing it at you. one 821 email address we always use on the show, my disabilityquestions.com. There's also a help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address right there. And then for small notations, uh, informative notations on LTD, if you have quick questions, you get some quick answers, that is simply LTD. LTDFAQ.ca again, L-T-D-F-A-Q dot we'll continue short
0: break stick around more disability law show is coming right back you're listening to a paid commercial program unless otherwise identified guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser the opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 toronto all right welcome
1: back disability law show tamara gopian here of course again this week uh, along with uh, her team samfiru and llp the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Don't hesitate to reach out, ask some questions, get some information, get educated. That is key. It's a huge weapon in your arsenal for sure. And how do you do that? one 821 5900 and help at disabilityrights.ca Ellen, thank you so much for writing in. She's up next. She says, "Tomorrow, if I invest in a property and get rental income, do I need to declare it to my LTD insurance company? Does this income affect my LTD? I don't think we've ever had that question before.
2: Yeah, it's a really, really good one. Yeah. So, I, you know, I would like to hear what my team has to say about this one. Here's my Here's my reaction to this, Ellen. I, I gotta say no. Okay, I'm gonna say no because because in my mind, when you've got a rental income, it's, it's passive income. You're not actually actively working at earning that income. I mean, perhaps if she's more intimately involved in earning that income. So for example, property management, uh, you know, there's, there's some you know, work, quote unquote, work element involved. Maybe my answer would differ, but if it's simply just an investment property, much like RSPs and other passive types of income, I don't think that it's something that, you know, the insurance company necessarily needs to know. I do think that, you know, honesty is always the best policy when you're going with the insurance company. But in a situation like Ellen's, I'd want to see what the policy says, John. I I really think it's important to get that section of the policy that describes what the insurance company will pay as the disability benefit. They will, the insurance company will detail in their policy This is how we calculate your benefit, and we'll cover that earlier in the show, but if you get these other sources of income, we're going to get to deduct it from what we're paying you month over month. The the most popular one we talk about, of course, is CPP disability benefits, but there's lots of other things contained in that section, and it can cover off, you know, income from other sources of employment. It can uh, cover off uh, employment severance income, for example, like if you're terminated and you're, you know, you re- receive some kind of a severance, the the guiding advice I would give is that it has to be very clear. So if it doesn't say very clearly that these types of passive type income is deductible, and I'd be surprised, I've never seen a policy that says that, then I'd be inclined to say that it should have no impact. But Ellen also asks us, does this income affect my LTD? And so if if in the disability policy, there is a section that says, you know what, your investment income is included or there's some kind of language like that, then yes, the disability insurer will want full disclosure on what you're deriving as that income and will want to calculate how much of that income is a deduction or an offset against what your LTD benefit is month over month. So you the starting point is find out what your policy says if you're not sure, give us a call. We'll, we'll take a look at it. I can give you the answer fairly quickly, Ellen. Um, but the guiding light here is that if you're not actively earning it, I have a hard time getting a sense from the insurance company that they should be entitled to get a credit for it. You know, much like other sources of income, people have to access other ways to survive. You know, the disability benefit is only two thirds usually of what you're regularly making. And so the last thing I want people to hear is that they can't access these other financial resources to get them through while they're going through, you know, a health event and trying to recover and and access treatment
1: question we always, this this question we get, and I know we cover this topic all the time in the show, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. And that is as far as the cutoff mark with uh, LTD claims, is it always, or most commonly, do most LTD claims get cut off at the two-year mark? I mean, I know it's all policy dependent, but what do you think about that?
2: It is. It certainly seems like it, isn't it, John? Like, it certainly seems as though a lot of people contact us at that precipice of the claim. And so I think that Overwhelmingly, I would say yes, Um, you know, but that's really because that's what I see, you know, day to day. Um, But I do think that there is some um, motive for the insurance company to do so as well, because they know as much as I know that if you get past that threshold of the two year mark, in other words, that change of definition where you're no longer accepted as totally disabled from your own occupation, but in fact, any occupation That is a harder test to meet. It's a higher threshold, right? Because now the income level is lower. They're looking to see, to get you into a job where you're earning basically the disability benefit and the insurance company doesn't really want you on because if you're on past that point, it becomes much tougher to get you off the claim And much tougher to justify before a court if a legal claim is brought to challenge the insurance company, much tougher for them to stand up and say to a judge, yeah, we accepted that this individual was totally disabled from any occupation for six months. But after those six months, we thought they were great and they could just go back and work. Right. It just it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So I think there is a lot more active um, adjudication, a lot of active management by the insurance companies to try and get claims closed around that two-year mark or just before and when i say claims closed john that could be a cutting off of a claim or the pressure to get you back to work so they can avoid having to do that analysis of whether or not this individual is going to meet the test of total disability because don't forget, it is up to the insurance company to put something in writing to you. They have to write to you. They have to explain their analysis to you. They have to go through the, what they looked at from a medical perspective and justify to you what they're doing with your claim. That is their obligation as a duty uh, of good faith by the insurance company to be transparent with you about what they're doing. And I think it becomes a lot tougher for the insurance company to justify. We accepted this for a little while, but by the way, we did a 180 because we just didn't want you on claim for the next 15 years, right? Just doesn't hold a lot of water. So I do think overwhelmingly that we do see a lot of claims being closed at that two-year mark. And if that's you, anyone listening out there, please, please don't hesitate. If you're wondering, look, is this going to happen to me? What are my options? Don't hesitate to contact us. We'll speak to you. Consults are free. Happy to go through that process with you at any point in time and uh, really help you to navigate what your options might be at the closure of your claim.
1: And just before we break here in a minute, let's not get confused between the the uh, the uh, uh, policy ending at the two-year mark and just being available for two years. I mean, right. a lot of people think their policy just lasts two years. And if you're 50, that's not the case, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, well, that's it. I got the maximum under the bu- my policy. Yep. I got the two years and I'm done. No, no, no. <laughs> Very few policies have a maximum period. Uh, some have a five-year maximum, uh, but they still have that change of definition. And so I think it can be really, really confusing for people when they're looking at this letter saying, oh, so I got my 24 months of payments and now I'm done. It must mean I have no further coverage. No, not the case at all whatsoever. Uh, most of these policies will pay potentially until you turn 65 years old.
1: And with that, we'll take a short break. More to go. You want to reach out to tomorrow. In the meantime, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. This is a disability law show.
0: We'll continue after short break. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, hey, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Still a few
1: minutes to go. If you've taken the time to send along an email, thank you so much. If we don't get to it, that's okay. We might not read it out on the show and talk about it, but I know Tamar and her, uh, her awesome team will get back to you. Absolutely. In that regard, Brandy is up next. Says, hey guys, I've been receiving my LTD insurance benefit payment for six months when they suddenly stopped. When I called, I was told the reason was my family doctor did not fax them the updates of my medical condition. I had a stroke a few months ago. What should I do? I already informed my family doctor I'm still limping on my right leg and my right shoulder and arm, still very weak. I'm 62 years old. That's from Brandy.
2: Brandy, my goodness. What's going on with the family doctor? I want to know, you know? I mean, yeah. So look. It is incredibly important when you are pursuing a disability claim to really talk to your doctors and make sure they're being responsive to the insurance company's requests for medical information. I cannot emphasize this enough. The insurance company will take the approach of sort of a box checker. That's what I call them. They're box checkers. They need to make sure that they've checked the box to say, yep, we got updated medical. Yep, it supports the Brandy's still struggling with symptoms and not able to work. Therefore, we will release another month or two or three of disability benefits. So when the medical information is not available, then that becomes a problem. What's odd, though, in her situation was that it was somewhat sudden. I would be surprised that it would be somewhat sudden like that. There should be a little bit more papering by the insurance company as to what's happening. Uh, In fact, they may even write to you or should write to you and say, by the way, we've requested this medical information from your doctor, uh, time one, time two, time three. If we don't get it by X date, then your benefits will end for this reason. This way, you then can also apply pressure on your doctor To get the medical information over to either you or frankly to the insurance company directly either way it should make its way there because i can tell you without it the insurance companies get quite hot and bothered and they (sighs) will use that as an excuse to prematurely cut off a claim because now what happens so now brandy's in the situation where she's not getting her disability benefit she is still struggling with her health you know, her age doesn't help necessarily. And there's the potential that she's going to continue getting this benefit until she turns 65. So I would apply a lot of pressure on both her doctor and the insurance company to remediate this. You know, yes, could we start a legal claim on this basis? Absolutely. But this is an instance that I'm wondering whether it could be a relatively quick fix, because I certainly cannot imagine an adjuster, Standing before me, asking, you know, if I'm asking him or her the question, by the way, why'd you cut off Brandy's claim when you received the medical in the end that showed that she was totally disabled? Really, there is an obligation on them to reconsider what they've done. I don't love it because it's technically an appeal, John, but it should never have been cut off at all in the first place. And there should have been lots and lots of conversations with Brandy first before it happened. So, the other element of this is that she's got the reasonableness aspect on her side. So this is the other guiding feature of disability litigation is that what is reasonable? and it's reasonable that in Brandy's current health state, that she wasn't able to be responsive to the insurance company's inquiries, if they were made of her to get updated medical information when she is uh, struggling as much as she was following a stroke just a few months back. She's focusing, focusing on her health right now. So it would absolutely be reasonable that she wasn't as responsive to the insurance company as she should have been, perhaps, or as much as they would have liked her to be. And that principle really should be guiding everything that's happening. And I don't think it was reasonable for the insurance company in this situation, just simply cut her off out of the blue without any explanation whatsoever. If they're going to continue to maintain a, a decline situation or a cutoff situation, then absolutely the next step would be a legal claim. And we would be pursuing damages in a cl- situation like this because it's just, it doesn't look good. It's not a good look on the insurance yeah, yeah. company, John, totally. in, a, in yeah. a situation like this. Yeah.
1: Talk about the insurance adjuster for a moment. Um, I mean, how often do they contact a the claimant during their LTD claim? I guess it would depend on their personality and the person. But what sort of questions are they going to be asking? And do you need yeah. to be careful?
2: Well, you you know, you do. Like I said before, I mean, I think you do want to have a lot of open and honesty with your disability adjuster. You know, I don't think it serves you to sort of uh, not be candid. And, And in fact, I would say sometimes the devil's in the details. I say that a lot to many clients especially mental health clients because you know the adjuster doesn't know what you're feeling day to day what you're suffering from and that experience and documenting that experience more formally with the insurance adjuster can be helpful and in theory that's why they're calling you right they want to know how are you doing you know what is your condition right now you know they're going to ask you questions about your day to day activities you know what sort of treatment are you getting you know have you talked to your doctors about a return to work this kind of thing and yes, some of that can be self-serving, right? I mean, the insurance company is looking for opportunities at times to assess your function and perhaps draw uh, a conclusion that look just because you can go out grocery shopping, it must mean you can do your office job for nine hours a day. Um, no, that's that's not a fair assumption. But could there be probing questions like that? Yes. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're providing consistent advice, you know, or consistent information to your own team your own doctors and practitioners. And that advice is, or that information is the same as to what you're saying to the insurance company. There's not really anything to hide in a situation like that, you know, be cooperative, you know, answer their questions. I think where it becomes um, more difficult or where I've seen it become more difficult is if the adjusters asking questions that are not appropriate or is really being, you know, borderline harassing in terms of the number of times that they're contacting you for this information. Now I was recently reviewing a file for mediation, John. And I think in a matter of six months, uh, the claimant was contacted seven times and each time uh, had a 45 minute discussion with the adjuster about her health conditions and her status and so on. And it turns out it was because they were going to try and prepare to do some kind of surveillance or assessment on her. And they were trying to arm themselves with information that perhaps could be inherently inconsistent so that they could justify closing the claim. That's not right. You know, that's essentially entrapment. It's not, it's not a right way to behave. Right. So, you know, you as a claimant have an obligation to be transparent and open and honest, but the insurance company does too, that duty goes both ways. And so, yes, you cooperate with those efforts, but if they're starting to get to be either harmful or, you know, a frankly detracting from your health, that's where, you know, you might want to get some advice from the doctor to do things in email as opposed to phone calls and sort of um, clip or limit the amount of access the insurance adjuster may have uh, to call you randomly, you know, every two, three weeks and ask you a thousand questions. Not right.
1: That's not right. Always good advice as it's given out on the show weekly. Tomorrow, amazing stuff. We're going to uh, hold off on the rest of our stuff till uh, till another week. We've got so much more to get through, and emails are always coming <laughs> in. You want to contribute, we'd love to have you as part of the show anytime. How do you do it? Uh, the email address we always go to, help at disabilityrights.ca. Another forum, another website for you to ask questions, mydisabilityquestions.com. And always the phone number, right, one eight five five eight 1-5900. One more time, 1 855 821 Thank you for hanging in, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Disability Law Show.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.